So as you see, new sermon series, super excited about it, Psalms. It's all about Jesus. We'll be looking for the next seven weeks just at different Psalms and just discovering Christ, our Savior, in them. So I think it might have been exactly like um, this time of year. Summertime, and you know, it didn't have as much to do. My mother and I were in the kitchen and, you know, looking for something to do. And she held up to me a $5 bill, Abraham Lincoln. This would have been about, I think, 1980, 1979. She said, if you memorize Psalm 23, you know, your summer, you got not as much to do, weren't, weren't as many video games back then, I will give you this $5. My mother, as sweet as she seems, is not about bribing her kids. And sometimes bribing for the sake of Jesus works. And I memorized that. And so how much, um, someone, 1980, $5, how much uh, would that 2023 now, how much, you know, what would be the comparison for $5? Someone give me a number. 20, 25, so you uh, moms out there, 25 would be the going rate. Maybe grandmothers, Beth, $25 for Haley there, I mean, think about it, it does you good. So that has always been with me, that Psalm 23 as just perhaps one of the most familiar Bible passages, and so let's open up to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, it's all about Jesus. And so I found so much in here, and so we're just gonna do the first three verses today. And then um, Josh is gonna be back with us a couple weeks from now, we're gonna have Newt Larson. I'll be finishing up this series August 6th, and I'm gonna do the last three verses then. Lord is my shepherd, I love this psalm. I highly recommend it to all of you to memorize. It's a personal confession. It embraces the reality of life, that life is full of hard knocks, of valleys, of challenges, of needing that we are sheep, that we have one shepherd, the Lord. So let's start off this morning and just let's read this uh, from the screen. Uh, so we're all on the same page with the same translation. Let's read this together as we start this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm gonna give you about 10 seconds and just read that a couple times just to yourself and then I'm gonna lead us in prayer. Just read that to yourself and let it start to sink into your heart. Lord, you are a shepherd. You are a provider. You are a king. You never leave us. We are never, ever, ever alone. You will never fail us. You will always come through. In darkness and light, in good time and bad time, you are a shepherd. Lead us and guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look at the word Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, in the New Testament, you think King of Kings, Lord of Lords, uh, the Lord Jesus, it's a title. In the Old Testament, it is his name. It is Generic sometimes, like generic ice cream. Uh, specific would be Briars or Bluebell. Uh, donuts would be general. Specific would be Rise and Roll, Dunkin' Donuts. Um, meat would be generic. Specific might be ribeye, prime rib. I mean, so generic might be captain, major, pastor, manager, assistant manager, president, vice president, those are titles. Specific might be Sam, Joe, Henry, uh, Julie. Um, so the Lord, I want you to see in the Old Testament, this is a name, the Lord is my name. If you look at Exodus chapter three, I wanna bring that up. In one of the first encounters, God, God says to Moses, um, I am who I am. 
And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am. I am meaning I'm the greatest reality, that you were created by God and for God, and that you came from God and, and you will return to God, and that he is the ever-present one, without beginning, without end. He just is. There's no greater reality for any of us than the fact of God. He is always there, the greatest reality. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, specific, that's my name, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. So the Lord is a name. Different theologians kind of have different ways that they've translated this and bring up that slide where it has the different names and so on. I mean, one, one theologian says creator. Another one says life giver. Another one says giver of existence, performer of his promises, absolute and unchangeable one. And so the relationship with God that God desires with you is never like, hey God, Hey you, hey you up there. God does not desire you and I to have the type of relationship you have with um, the HVAC guy, maybe you call, or um, an uncle that maybe you see once or twice a year. But the Lord, he is the creator, the life giver, the giver of existence. Think about one of these names, and maybe this week, when you pray, or when you pray tonight, maybe with a friend, or with your spouse, or as a family, pick out a name just to substitute it for the Lord, and just think about, this week, I wanna pray, maybe you wanna pray, start off your prayer, giver of existence. Life giver. Just so you and your own relationship with God make it more personal. Because Lord, I think, we just grow up, we hear that word, it's, it's more of a title, when it really is a name. So I'm gonna give you a few moments, just pick out one of those names and maybe practice it this week in your own relationship with God. Call him by name. The Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is his name, the life giver. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's take a look at the word shepherd. Um, you might think about like, what, what's your favorite animal? Bible animals and the shepherd, the shepherd sheep is just one of those things to, that we need to try to understand because it's such a, a familiar metaphor in the Bible. What do we mean by shepherd? Uh, you know, I think shepherds come up at Christmas time. That's probably the most frequently that we think about this idea of, of a shepherd because um, even for us, we, we live out here in the, in the more country, we might see sheep here and there, but not near as common as back then. A couple verses I want us to look at to help us with this idea of shepherd and what it goes along. So first from Isaiah, it says this, behold, the Lord, the Lord God, again, there's his name, and there's generic, specific generic, comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock, that means his followers, if you are his follower, you are part of his, his flock, like a shepherd. That's the image that God takes on, that I am like a shepherd, and that us as people, his followers, you and I are, are the lambs, the sheep. He will gather lambs in his arms. But let me come back up here. Um, his arm rules for him with might. So when you think about, when you say, Lord, you are my shepherd, you're saying, Lord, you're my mighty shepherd. You're powerful. You're able to protect me. You're able to be a bodyguard. You've, you're, you're loaded. You're armed. You're powerful. You're invincible. So when you think about, Lord, you're my shepherd, you're saying, Lord, I believe you're powerful. Lord, I'm, I believe you're able to take care of me. So he's got power here, and in this verse, it's like tenderness. Power, tenderness. Might and strength, gentleness, and, and nurturing. He will gather the lambs in his arms, because sometimes you and I get wounded, we get hurt, we're scared, we need re re restoring, and he says, I'll, I'll pick you up. And even this, 
This is what, how God sets himself apart, how he's so unlike any other God. He says, he, the Lord, will carry them, meaning he'll pick us up and hold us close to his chest and gently lead those that are with young. Power, gentleness, and love. The next verse, if you go New Testament, where he says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I love this just statement. This is such a powerful standalone verse. The good shepherd lays down his life. So what does it mean to be a shepherd? It means I sacrifice. When I shepherd someone, I'm willing to suffer for them. I'm willing to be long-suffering. We shepherd, if you're a parent, you shepherd your kids. It means you're willing to sacrifice for your children. If you're a boss, if you're a manager, if you're a group leader, whatever, if, you, if you're, to be a shepherd means to, you work harder, you are willing to sacrifice, you're willing to deny yourself for those around you. The good shepherd, so when we say the Lord is my shepherd, we're saying when you pray life giver, uh, you are my shepherd, you're saying life giver, you sacrifice for me. That's what it means to when you confess that, I'm saying God, you are the one who sacrifices for me. God, you're the one who surrenders. You're the, God, you are the one who you'll pick me up if I need it. God, you are the one, you'll carry me through those times when I need you to carry me. What does Jesus do for us? He lays down his life for us. What does Jesus do for us? He rules with, with power and might, but he also is willing to carry us. The Lord is my shepherd, so what is that? make you and me. Anyone here, uh, okay, any, anyone of here, do you, you have cows? Raise your hand, any cows here? Got cows? Got some cows over here. Any goats, anyone got goats? Anyone got chickens? Any chicken people? Chicken people here on my left. Chicken people in the back there. Any of you have cats? Any of you have cats who take care of you? Any of you got sheep? Any sheep here? Got a sheep right over here. And so, you know, when Chris and I just got married, I grew up out east and uh, no farms, no county fairs. And so we had just been married maybe a year or two. We were down at Chris's property. And, and Chris grew up in an area like way west of Milford, maybe Marshall County. I mean, there's one house right next to her house. And then, you know, there's another house a quarter mile away, a couple of houses half a mile away. And so we had a family get together at Chris's house in the field and my, my uh, father-in-law had some lambs and you know, they would always come running, not to me, but whenever he came home, he walked out there, sheep came running. So my, my niece, Chelsea, she had his baby lamb on a rope and she was getting it ready. She was gonna train it, first time out in the field, training it for the Bartholomew County Fair. And I'm like, what, County Fair? What do you do there? I'm like, well, you take the sheep and you walk, you, you train it to walk in a circle. It needs training to walk in a circle. I mean, this is all brand new to me. And so this is a big family event. We're all out there watching and Chelsea takes and a lamb, this little lamb kind of stumbles and starts, does a couple laps and like everyone's like. And then it seemed like the lamb had some kind of recognition that everyone's watching and that Chelsea wants me to walk in a circle. And the moment it had that little recognition, it stopped. It just came to a stop. And from then on, it was game on. And the lamb would like want to go to the left. It want to go to the right or go to the left or stop or try to back up. And then the best was when the, when the lamb just did a flip, a flop, laid down its back, four hooves in the air and just like, sure you could train me, but you're gonna have to do it all yourself. And I thought, that is kind of a pretty good analogy for sin in our lives. And the Bible talks about us as sheep. I mean, Psalm 103 says this. It says, uh, Psalm chapter 100, verse three, note the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. A few months ago, Pastor Josh was preaching about the subject of humility. And he defined, I, li I really like that he defined humility as being not thinking too highly of ourselves, but not thinking too low of ourselves. 
The Bible says that you and I are like sheep, which isn't the greatest compliment, but it's not like you're worthless. But it's a sheep is, is accurate to who we are, not compared to each other, but compared to God that we are greatly in need. And all the popular mantras about believe in yourself, you can be anything you want, only take you so far. The greatest reality is that with us and our relationship with God that we are sheep and deeply in need. Isaiah 53, six says this. All we, like sheep, every single human being, every single one of us have gone astray. That disobedient lamb. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Just like that little lamb, Chelsea trying to train it just to walk in a simple circle. You and I, sometimes we cooperate with God. Other times we stop. Other times maybe we do the flop like, okay God, I'll go, but you're gonna have to do everything, God. You're just gonna have to drag me around in a circle while I lay on my back. Other times I'm like, sure, I'll go a little bit, but a little bit, I wanna go here, God, or I wanna go there, God. And the Lord has laid on Jesus all our rebellion, all our sin, all our digging our heels, all our wanting to go our own way, he has put on Jesus for us out of his great love for us. The Lord is my shepherd. He lays down his life for us. The Lord is my. How does my change this verse? Just imagine for a moment, substitute T-H-E. How would this change us? The Lord is the shepherd. Why do you think he puts the Lord is my God is a personal God. There's a huge difference, isn't there? Many, many people believe in the God, or sure, I believe there's a God, or sure, he's out there, but there's a huge difference between believing in the God and my God. The spouse, the husband, and my husband. The wife, the friend, my friend, my wife. I want us to see that the relationship with God is a personal, there's a healthy possessiveness, that this is my shepherd. I can't decide for anybody else, but he's going to be my God. I'm gonna to stick to him. He will never leave me. I am, he, he says, I, he, this man, this woman is my son, my daughter. That's the way that God feels toward you. And to return, we say, yes, I am your child and you are my God, my shepherd. It's really interesting. Unlike us, and my, my niece, Chelsea, and you know, she's got the rope attached to the lamb, it has no, it was very different back in the time of Christ in, in, the, old, in the Old Testament, the New Testament. John chapter 10, you have to know a little bit of the background when Jesus is talking in John chapter 10 where it says, to him, the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Because unlike what we have today, three or four families would have the same gate enclosure. It'd be like a little bit of a community enfolding. So three or four families, they, they jump all the sheep, 20 or 30 sheep in one little pen. The individual shepherd comes, would come open the gate and call his sheep saying, Henry, Julia, who call his sheep by name and that sheep would kind of jostle and push its way through and come out. I saw just a little bit example, like as I said with my father-in-law, I mean the sheep would never come to myself or the kids, we'd come out there and try to play with, they'd run away from us. But as soon as my father-in-law came, it was so funny to see, he called them and they just came running straight to him. But this is to understand that the shepherd comes, calls the sheep by name, and then as he leads them out, when he brought out all his own, he closes the gate, and then he goes before the sheep, calling them, and the sheep follow him. 
they follow him for they know his voice. If it's dark, they, he, the shepherd goes out in front and just calls to them. And because they know his voice, they know it's safe. They know the shepherd's leading them to food, to water. They're gonna follow him. So that's the picture for us. So this morning, how are you doing as a sheep? How are you doing following his voice? It acknowledges how, Psalm 23 just acknowledges how difficult life can be, our needs, and that we just need to trust, follow, obey the shepherd. It says, going on, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack, I shall not lack for anything. Deuteronomy 2.7 says this, for the Lord, your God, the Lord, again, his specific name, the absolute and unchanging one, has blessed you and all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord, your God, has been with you. You have lacked for nothing. The next verse, it goes on, you've lacked for nothing. Um, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And literally, it means to, to stretch out, like fully think of yourself in a hammock. Think of yourself on a king-sized bed just stretching out. It's, it's the same thing. He li- makes me lie down in green pastures. Ezekiel says this in a very similar way. The Lord says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Now flip back that previous slide. So I had a... I was studying for this, and so two questions for you. What does a sheep eat? It's, it's grass, and what does it lie down and take a nap on? So I thought for the first time in my life, it hit me like, it's like sleeping on a bed of cheeseburgers. It's a sheep, a sheep eats grass, and it takes a nap and lies down on on grass, and so it's like having a, can you imagine a pillow of chocolate chip cookie? Can you imagine that, Randy? Like you just roll over, take a few bites, and go back to bed. Anyway, side note, I had a moment of, I was laughing and when I was studying this, like it eats and it's bed is its food, so that's pretty good. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me. Again, you have the image of Jesus leading, calling the sheep, you and me, that we follow him, we know his voice, he leads us beside still waters, waters of refreshment, of peace, not roaring waters, but quiet waters and soothing waters. All this to say, if you take all this together, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. To sum all it up, the shepherd takes care of you. Any need that you can think of, he meets your needs. Done. You shall not want green pastures, quiet waters. Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus sums it up by saying this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He'll take care of you. Therefore, don't worry, sheep, about tomorrow. For tomorrow, little sheep, will worry about itself. Little sheep, each day has enough trouble of its own. But seek first his kingdom. Again, just keep your eyes on the Lord, follow his voice, listen to him, follow after him. He will take care of our needs. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And this is great if you memorize it. He restores my soul. I love this part. That, you know, when, when I pray this sometimes, I'll just pray this as my prayer. I'll just open the Bible and I'll just pray it word for word right from the Bible. And it always strengthens me. And I love when I get to, he restores my soul. Let's start with this word right here. What do you think of when you think of soul? It is a a Bible word. It is a a non-evolutionary word. It is the soul. Sometimes you might think of the heart. But your soul is you. It is your personality. It is that invisible you. It is that emotional you. It is that, whether you want to say mind, your your mental health, your emotional well-being. It is that soul. It is that something that 
separates you from the monkeys and the giraffes and all, every other type of animal. But I made a grave mistake once. This woman named Teresa, she called me on the phone and she was a bit weepy on the phone because her favorite pet had died. And she asked me just like, you know, is my, I can't remember the pet's name, is my pet gonna be in heaven with me? As a young foolish pastor, I said, something along the lines of, you know, scripturally, I mean, the Bible says, you know, just only, only human beings have souls, and so, uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. And, uh, you know, Teresa didn't talk to me for like two months. I mean, just like that was, so I learned just, you know, if you come to me and like you say, is, is my pet gonna be in heaven? I don't know, I mean, maybe. I mean, the Bible says nothing is impossible with God and it doesn't say everything about heaven, so maybe in some little corner of heaven, the dog park of heaven, maybe your, your favorite pet is there. But I will say, I mean, like, yeah, there is a difference that you and I are made in the image of God and that you have a soul. It's that part of you that makes decisions, that sets the course, that bestows love upon this person and, and not love upon that other person. Um, your, your soul is that part of you that can be filled with incredible joy, um, peace, contentment when you lay down at night, or your soul is that part of you when you lay down at night that is just troubled, that it affects you physically, that you can't even sleep, you're, you're so upset, um, so distressed about something. Your soul is that part that gets damaged, that can be torn, um, that needs healing. This word restores is also another great word. Often in the Old Testament, it's, it's translated returns. It's used over a thousand, exactly a thousand and sixty-six times in, in the Old Testament, so it's a very common word, and most often it's translated return. And as I studied this word, I immediately thought about what do you do when you get a package in the mail, um, something gets dropped off, and you open it up and you know, that shirt, there, there's a tear in it, or that product, and there's a damage, something, there's a scratch on it. What do you do? You take it back, you send it, you return it to the maker, and hopefully next time it arrives, it's fixed. And so the idea is for you and I, because of sin, because we are like that sheep that wants to do its own thing, our souls get damaged. There is no way around it. In this sinful world, where we, make, we sin, we cause damage to our own souls. Sins are committed against us, damaging our souls. Bad things happen, tragedies happen. Our souls get damaged, they feel pain. We return our soul to God. There is no other place. He, we return our, our soul to God, we return it to him to get it fixed to get our souls repaired, to get our souls mended, get, to get our souls healed. We return that to God. Now think with me. <clears throat> if, you're physically, if you're physically sick, what do you do? Maybe go to a doctor. If you're physically not feeling well, uh, a doctor might say, what have you been eating? What have you been feeding your body? So think with me. What have you been feeding your soul? What do you feed your heart, your mind? Because it's very similar. The whole point of when we gather here for Sunday morning is for us to have our souls fed. The whole point is when we're, the band is up here and we're singing, like giving thanks to you, is for your soul to be lifted up, your soul to be filled up, to like, oh yeah, I should be thanking. Whether I'm singing with my voice, whether I'm raising a hand, like your soul is being filled up. When we're praying, when we're, when we're hearing God's word, the whole point of our gathering is to have our souls fed. What have you been feeding your soul? When you turn on the TV, what are you feeding your soul? I like a good action movie, but I've been noticing I can't watch some action movies because when, you know, 
people are just getting blown away. Bit, that takes my soul in a direction. And like, no, I don't, I don't want to watch that. I don't want my son to watch that because nah, that's just too much. What, what type of music? Music feeds our soul. The music we listen to is going to take us one place or another. Those conversations in the, in the break room. You know, there's a circle of employees probably at your workplace that their conversation is going to take, it's so complaining It's so pathetic, it's so hateful toward everyone, it's so full of anger that if you join that group in the break room, your soul is gonna go straight to the bottom. And hopefully there's one or two other people that you can go to a conversation with that at least your soul's not gonna go to a dark place. Maybe even it's gonna go to a good place. What do you feed in your soul? What conversations? You gotta be so careful. I mean, just the videos out there, sometimes they can be so funny, and you know, we, we can joke and laugh about the algorithms, but they're really there. I mean, you click on a video for stupid cat tricks. I, mean, I always try to, my, my son and I especially, go back and forth, what are you watching? What are you watching? Because you, know, you click on that one funny cat video, and what's gonna start popping up on your screen? every stupid cat video, and then it's gonna go to every dogs or penguins or rabbits, it's, it's gonna play on you. And you know, you know, if you, my, my YouTube screen, I mean, it's, it's hunting, history, hiking, things I like, but it seems like every two or three months, I'll, I'll hit on the YouTube and like, there'll be something pornographic, there'll be something pop up like, oh, I've gotta instantly go past that. Because every advertiser, every business knows about sex and about, especially for men, and all they want, they just want to keep you. They don't care what you're looking at. They just want to keep you, YouTube or Google, whoever it is, they just want to lock you down and take as much of your day and as much of ultimately your heart as they can. And so if I were to click on that one soft porn little video, what would happen? The next time I open the YouTube, there might be two or three, there might be, and just so on and so forth. And obviously, any type of porn, male or female, it destroys your soul. It destroys the relationships that you have with a real people. It is exploitative. It is loveless. It is faithless. Do I need to say anything more? What are you feeding your soul? It's not just, that's all I'm gonna say about that subject, but just it matters in explicit ways, in maybe some innocent ways, but it's still, it's nothing. It's bland, it has no calories for your soul. He restores your soul. Life groups, our hope for life groups is that it helps your soul. It's not just show up at life group, have some small talk, surface talk, um, do a little Bible study, someone wraps up with a quick prayer, you all go home, score points with God. No, the point of life groups is that you do have that Bible study, but then you, you share personally how you're struggling and trying to put into practice that Bible study. The point and the hope of life groups is that you get to that point at the end or somewhere where you talk, where you can actually build strong enough friendships so that if my soul is hurting, I'm not afraid to say, hey, I've just had a really rough week. Um, Could you pray for me? The goal in life groups is hopefully whether you you split up male and female at the end or not, but you have a place where like, hey, my soul's hurting. You probably don't use that word, but you just say, hey, I'm I'm having a hard time. And you could pray for each other. Because even, even when you just simply say, I'm having a hard day, can't you all agree? Like when I honestly can say, like when I tell another person, I'm having a hard day, it's, that's, that's the first step toward having my, my soul restored. That's why almost every psalm starts out, a lot of psalms start off with like, I'm in pain, God, I'm hurting. Why is my soul in despair? Because that's always the first step. 
For whatever reason, our human pride, we're always so scared to, oh, I'm not gonna share. I'm just gonna like gut it out. I'm not gonna tell. Oh, they won't understand. We make up all kinds of reasons to keep it inward. When the very first step to having our souls healed is to say, ah, I'm hurting. As soon as you do that, that's the first step toward having your soul healed. Let me look at my notes here just for a moment. So, yeah, the music that we listen to, uh, the Bible, I mean, just opening the Bible up, healing our soul, uh, sharing our stories with one another feeds the soul. We move towards some conversations and away from others that wreck our souls. Our souls get damaged. He restores my soul. Again, looking at God alone. You may be on medication this morning for for some kind of issue in your life, anxiety or depression. If you're on medication, still, he, God, restores your soul. Maybe you're not on medication, he restores your soul. Maybe you're going to see a therapist, he restores your soul. Maybe you're not seeing a therapist, he restores your soul. Maybe you're putting your hope in, in some exercise or, or fitness or some new diet. There's a new documentary I saw, like it's on earthing. You know what earthing is? It's the idea that you take your shoes off, your bare feet, and you go out in the grass or the dirt, that there's something really good that's coming up. Who would have thought? But it's the latest rage. If you're earthing, and putting all your hope in earthing. God created earthing, and he restores your soul. If you're like, earthing's a bunch of schmooey, he restores your soul. Oh, well, if you're reading a self-help book, he restores your soul. If you're not reading, you, you think all self-help books are the same, he restores your soul. You know, we all know those conversations. Someone comes into work, they're super excited. I'm trying this new workout and I'm so pumped up and you could, you could tell, you know, it's doing something for their soul. Or I'm trying this new diet or I'm doing earthing and it's, and then, you know, maybe a couple months later, it's something else. But we have to say the soul is God's domain. No one knows your soul like God does. Not your spouse, not your best friend, not whoever, God alone, there's no one who knows your soul like God. He, the Lord, is the restorer of your soul. Whatever we do, exercise, fitness, diet, medications, therapist, whatever it is, he, you always say, you, Lord, you ultimately are the restorer of my soul. It's his domain. Psalm 147.3 says this, It says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That word, that should be wounds there in words. I missed that one when I was looking through it. And the next one says this. So the, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. That's a great one to memorize. Behold, Lord, you are my helper. The Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Now, I also want to talk about this. What is the main way that God restores our souls? It's through repentance. Now, look at this. Repent, therefore. Remember when Josh preached this. Repent means to turn away from sin, to confess, to ask the Lord uh, to forgive us, to renew us, and turn back. That your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing. That's restoring, returning your soul. They come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Repentance is a key way that God restores our souls. Now listen to me carefully. I'm not saying that, hey, if your soul's hurting and in pain, just ask God to forgive you of your sins and then, hey, everything will be good and you'll be healed. I'm not saying that. It's not that simple at all. But what I am saying is that repentance always for every single Christian, for me, for you, for Billy Graham, for every single Christian is a healthy practice. That there is no restoring and healing of your soul without it. 
without saying, Lord, forgive me for the grudge I've held because that grudge has been destroying my soul. Lord, repentance is a part and if you've not practiced repentance or confession or asked God to forgive you, I can assure you that your soul has become dry and brittle because we all sin. And so if that's built up within us, that we need restoring. Repentance is for any and every believer in all seasons, in small ways, perhaps, or bigger ways. It doesn't solve everything, but it's a natural part of staying like fitness, like exercising on a weekly basis is repentance for our souls. A few practical ways, a few ideas I will give you. Um, Jesus says, uh, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look at verse 29 at the end, and you will find rest for your souls. A few practical ideas. Evaluate what you're watching on TV. How much and what are you watching on TV? Even what, if you're a parent, what are you allowing your children to watch? Write a prayer out to God on a piece of paper. If your soul is troubled, you got, if you're worried, if you're fearful about something, write a prayer out on a piece of paper and then pray it out loud. Sometimes you just have to get something out. Even if you're not with a, another person, just to say, to speak something out, God uses to restore your soul. Give Jesus the first and last word of the day. Um, sometime within the first hour when you awake, get your Bible, even if you read one single verse, even if you go to your phone and, and you look up the Bible app, but immediately to keep your soul healthy, give God the first word of the day, give him the last word of the day. I've found myself personally, I've recommended this to other people that a lot of times you sleep better by letting God have the very last word of the day. Have your Bible on your nightstand, read just a few verses before you go to bed, and see what type of difference it might make in, in your heart as you sleep. Give God the very final word of the day before you turn off the light. See what happens. Go to bed with his words ringing in your heart and soul especially Psalms and the Gospels. Um, busyness, you know, busyness is an epidemic. Um, it's a problem. There's just too many choices in our modern uh, 21st century America. And it, it's like a badge of honor to almost tell each other how, how busy we are. We, we recognize that. And it's almost like shameful, embarrassing to say that, oh, I, I said no to that. And... Um, do not say no to Sunday mornings. We, you need it for your soul. But say no to something. I think to walk with Christ, with Christ as your shepherd, if you're listening to the voice of God, he's probably gonna ask you to trust him by saying no to some activities. Say no to some activities for, if you're a parent for your children. Just saying no because, you know, there's, Sports, band, uh, 4-H, whatever it is. They're, adults have leagues. I mean, there's just a myriad of choices. Sometimes, in some ways, we gotta say, say no or to something or someone. So God may be calling you to trust him by saying no to creating a little bit of space in, in your life. Um, ask someone face-to-face, -face, a real person, to pray for you. You know, as Christians, this is to be normal. I know it has be, become scary, and we've got people down front, people in the back, um, life group, and I know we, we, we think of so many reasons. I know I mentioned it a little bit earlier in the message, with so many reasons and excuses not to ask people to pray for us. Hey, it's my private life, or hey, they won't understand. Oh, they're busy. But this is to be such a natural, life-giving, normal thing. It's so easy, it's so right in front of us. And I just encourage you to reconsider that. I'm, I'm always encouraging. Sometimes I come forward 
you've probably seen me front or back and just ask for prayer. And truth be told, every single one of us, every week could come down front, right? But I know we've, we've, for whatever reason, we have this thing like we see someone walk in and we know they're going through, like I hope they go forward. We think it's only crisis moments. Sometimes I go forward for prayer just because I want more of Jesus. I just want more because I know that money and the things and everything, I've lived long enough in life that none of it satisfies my soul except for Jesus. So I just really want to encourage us. Just there's power in just saying, you don't have to explain or tell your whole life story. Just Tom, I just, just pray for me, Tom, however you feel led. Or maybe I tell Tom a few, few things. And again, that's why if you've ever been to a therapist, the main thing about a therapist is they just let you talk. They just let you talk. That's it's kind of a secret. But a good therapist just allows you and, and help, enables you to talk. And that's why you just, you know, when you're struggling with a friendship or in your marriage and you finally talk, that's the first step, even if it's a little rough getting it out. But just being able to say, hey, I got a problem and I need prayer. And that's what we are to be together as a family, to trust each other with that. He restores our souls. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 1999, I got to go to Israel, and our bus driver, big, uh, huge, tall bus, our bus driver had been a tank driver in the Israeli army. He's taking us along this dirt road in this huge truck, and this is the valley that runs from Jericho up to Jerusalem. And I'm, I'm looking at the side of the window, and I'm looking like straight down like 300 feet. And this, it was scary. So we get out, and uh, I, we were all kind of shook up, and, and our guide, uh, it was like a steep slope. Um, and then uh, there were these divots that ran along. Um, it was kind of deserty, uh, rock, kind of like Utah or, Mo- or Montana, dry, high plains, and, and then this 300-foot drop. And we asked what those kind of that, that divot, that indentation, and he said, those are the paths of righteousness. That's the shepherd for thousands of years. They lead their animals along the well-worn trail. And not far from that well-worn trail is the 300-foot drop. And, you know, it's, it's rugged. You can't see the water. Only the shepherd knows where the water is. And the sheep have to, you know, listen to the, the shepherd walking along and stay inside that, that path. Matthew 7 Verses 13 to 14, speaking of paths, it says this, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Again, using that sheep imagery. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. Many sheep take that road. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. So I know in our culture, we're very individualistic. It's about your path, your individual path and your different career path or this path or the way you're, the way you're living your life. But ultimately, the Bible says that the, the ultimate truth is that there's, there's only two paths. There are only two paths. Everyone is on one or the other. So the question is always like, I want to be on the path of righteousness. I want to, be, I want to go through the narrow gate. And Jesus holds open his arms wide. He, he died on the cross for us that we might enter by the narrow gate. He calls to us, though few receive. There's only two paths. There's the broad path and there's the narrow path. And maybe the majority of the people on the broad path think they're doing their own thing and living their own life, but they're all on the same path. Jeremiah 6, verse 16 says this. This is what the Lord This is what the life giver says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. We've got to fight off that sin. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask. So your prayer this morning might be say, Jesus, show me. I want to walk the ancient paths. 
These are both ancient path. The ancient path of just doing your own thing, living for yourself, choosing sin, the broad path that leads to destruction, or the path of life, the path of righteousness, the ancient path, good women, good men, and walk in it. He leads me in paths of righteousness. You can't walk on the path of righteousness without the Bible. We are the Wawasee Bible Church. This is our book. We can't stay on the path of righteousness without one of these. I know we use our phones a lot, but I wanna recommend to you that you got the paper, you got the binding, you've got the book, that's near and dear to your heart. You've got your name in it. And if you're not Bart Taylor, that you highlight, that you maybe write in it. That this is your Bible. That this is what keeps you on. You know what, I, sometimes at, at night, I lay down, there's something about the book. And if I'm feeling really stressed out, you know what I do? I just, I put the Bible, I lay it right on my chest. Some, it just makes me feel better. Like I'm standing on God's word. How does he lead us in paths of righteousness? Through prayer, talking to the Lord. How does he lead you through uh, the paths of righteousness? Through each other. I'll talk to Josh. I'll talk to Tom Spiker. I'll talk to various people to help me stay on that path, to help me run a good race. God has brought us together, men and women, that we as a church, we keep each other on the paths of righteousness. We don't do the Christian life alone. We confess our sins to each other. We lean upon each other. We help each other stay on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's uh, wrap up by going to, the. Le- let's put up the three verses again. And uh, let's say these together as we wrap up this morning. Let's say them out loud together. I wanna encourage you to memorize Psalm 23. Um, yourself, uh, with a friend, as a family, it is a powerful confession. Um, let's say this together and then I'm gonna close this in prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake.